Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Rav Daliwa, investor and venture partner at Crane Venture Partners. In this episode, we talked about Rav's impressive career heading up customer success at some of the top hyper-growth SaaS companies, how we've seen the industry evolve over the past 15 years, and why customer success leaders have two customers, the ones they serve externally and the teams they need to sell their value to internally. Rav also shared tips on how to get started with setting up customer success and the one thing customer success teams are getting wrong all around and how to improve it. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me direct on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. Just gun for revenue in the door. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Rav, welcome to the show. Hi, Andrew. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure. Uh, for the listeners, uh, Rav is an investor and venture partner at Crane Venture Partners, who are backing the next generation of ambitious, intelligent computing companies in Europe and working on close with enterprise deep tech founders to build the foundations for long-term revenue growth and customer value. Uh, prior to becoming an investor, Rav has had an unbelievable career, heading up customer success at Slack, leading customer success at Zendesk, the director of customer success at Yammer, all within the EMEA region. He is also a principal support manager at Salesforce and spent time at other companies like IBM, JP Morgan, and Accenture. Uh, so my first question for you, Rav, is uh, you have more brand names on your CV than I've ever seen anyone into you so far. What's one piece of advice that you would give to somebody looking to get a job at a hyper-growth company? Oh, that's a great question. Thank you. And you make me feel very old and tired now, Andrew, just going, going through, <laughs> going that, through that it. List. Um, it's, it's a really interesting question. So I'm going to actually answer that with uh, my investor hat on because I, when I first started working in venture, I was at an event and somebody asked me about my career and where I'd been working. And they said, oh, you're a really good investor. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, look at where you've chosen to invest your time. And I hadn't really ever thought about it <laughs> in those terms. And it got me... Yeah thinking about that. So the one bit of it, you know, well, it's, it's a broader bit of advice than one thing is I went back and then looked through, well, what was my process of, you know, looking at these roles and trying to get these roles? First and foremost was the product or the products is like, do I actually really believe in this thing? Even if other people don't, does it spark in me some enthusiasm, some passion? Do I think it's great? Right. That's the first thing. Second thing is who are the founders and the leaders of the business? If it's an early stage startup, uh, you know, what's their track record? And I don't think it's any coincidence when I deconstructed it. They were all founders who had previously done other businesses 
Some of them are not even successful. So they had one or two failures before they sort of hit on something that was successful. And I think that's important because it's a certain level of maturity and knowledge uh, on how to build a business that you would be walking into. Uh, I think third was, uh, you know, what do I bring to the table? So what is the kind of gap that I could, with my experience and skills I could bring? And fourth is what's the opportunity for me? And that's not so much opportunity in terms of title or, or revenue or, or money, although that is important, it was much more what's the opportunity for me to develop some muscles that I want to develop. So, you know, in the case of Zendesk, all those criteria filled, but the muscle that I wanted to build was I wanted to become a better people leader. I wanted to really learn how to manage and, and lead a function. So um, I think those are kind of, the, that's the advice I would give is start with the product because if you don't really believe with the product or the product's not of good quality, it doesn't matter if you have the rest, your life's going to be pretty miserable. <laughs> yeah, I love the sort of the notion as well of uh, putting the investor hat on uh, that you mentioned, mm -hmm. like you really are investing your time. And I think uh, so often they're not like people really undervalue uh, themselves and sort of see, like yes. I think when you're coming from like the founder side and uh, like seeing how difficult it is to find really good people, uh, you're just as much of a commodity as like the job that's been given to you and things. So I think really sure. trying to be thoughtful in how you spend your time. And I like the process as well. Like you said, looking at experienced yeah. founders, uh, seeing that they've got some uh, sort of track record that you love the product that you could see yourself using it or see potential in it. It's like, yeah. And it's uh, not just even a track record of success. It's just a track record of them having uh, being entrepreneurs, right? You know, most really um, successful entrepreneurs have failed two, three, four times before they've kind of hit on the formula. So. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen it every time I've done a startup. This is now number four for me. Every time I look back, I was like, geez, how little I knew back then. And I know the same <laughs> thing is going to happen like in a few, yeah. a couple of years from now. There's, as well, there's it's going to be. nothing like experiential learning. Absolutely. Cool. So, uh, I mean, I went through a long list and I think one of the common threads, obviously, through that list uh, is definitely being your experience around customer success. And mm -hmm. uh, even as early back in the day as being at uh, Salesforce, uh, where you are sort of as a principal support manager, but mm. it sounded like the functions of a customer success to a certain degree for enterprise yeah. level clients. Um, so I'm interested, like, how have you seen the industry move and uh, evolve over the last like 10 or so, 10, 15 years? Like, what do you think has really moved forward in the right direction? And mm -hmm. what do you think is maybe still not caught up yet to other um, sectors and other teams within companies? I think what's really moved forward is actually a greater understanding that as we've changed the way we distribute and sell software, you know, we've moved from, you know, perpetual license on premise to cloud and subscription, that there does need to be, uh, what, you know, a new way of thinking about how we work with customers and a focus on helping the customer to drive business value, business outcomes. So I think that is that is almost a norm now. I think there's no one who sets up a SaaS company, especially somebody who sets up a SaaS subscription company, that isn't, even if they're unconsciously doing it, thinking about putting or putting resource in to make customers successful, whether they call it something different is almost irrelevant. So I think that's definitely what I've seen the progression move forward. Uh, I think to the second part of your question, as in like what's maybe not working so well, I would say first and foremost, there is still a very, there is no standard industry definition of what we mean by customer success. And because of that, it's very difficult for entrepreneurs, 
for, for uh, even established founders and actually even for success practitioners uh, to articulate what they do and why it's important. And if you don't have that definition, that leads to a whole host of other challenges down the line, specifically one which I've written about and talked about and described as this everything department phenomena where the CS team ends up becoming a department just owns everything that either doesn't fit or isn't wanted elsewhere in the organization. So I think that's fundamentally part of the core of what I'm trying to do now as an investor, especially as an early stage investor, is to work with founders to help them actually educate them and help them understand what CS is, why it's important, why you even need to invest in it at the very, very earliest stages. Even if you call it something different, it doesn't matter uh, because this is the only way you're ever really going to have a shot at being a, a large successful business. Absolutely. Do you think maybe as well this this clarity and definition is not there yet because maybe they, they don't have the granularity like other roles do? So if you think about sales, you have inbound and outbound that they clearly define their functions, their roles. Yeah. I think when it comes to customer success, in my opinion, it varies quite a bit because it can vary drastically on the business model, on the type of customer you're going after, on yes. what the average revenue per account is, like what mm. functions you can deploy. And perhaps maybe like there needs to be um, a lot more solid ground going into those definitions for then you to have a, a better understanding of what customer yeah. success is. You've hit the nail on the head there, which is it's contextual. So depending on the business, the product, the service, the, the, the customers, what it takes to make a customer successful yeah. varies from uh, business to business. But I think there's another part to that equation, and I hope it doesn't sound too controversial. I think the other challenge with that lack of definition is actually CS leaders and practitioners themselves who don't go about defining the context. Uh, and this is one of the ironies of if you hire really good CS leaders and practitioners, they tend to be very customer-focused, very value-focused, um, uh, and they will work incredibly hard uh, to overcome shortcomings in your own product or service or in your own go-to-market motion to, to make the customer successful. And then that has the byproduct of them hiding structural problems in your business that will actually prevent you from being successful. And they're not doing that intentionally. They're just doing that well-intentioned. But yeah. then what that can sometimes lead to is the, the team or the leadership feeling, well, I've just got to I've just got to deal with the hand I've been given, yeah. <laughs> right? Whereas they don't realize that actually they are much more empowered than they think they are to affect change in the business. But the first thing is they need to define uh, what, what they is. do in terms of the bottom line impact it has to the business. So typically, what you'll find, and I talk to a lot of CS leaders, is you'll say, "So you know, what do you do?" And they go, "Well," and I'll tell you something very generic: we deliver outcomes or we focus on value, or, and you think, okay, or they'll go the other level and just talk about granular activities. Well, we do QBRs, we do reviews, we do onboarding. And what I'm trying to sort of help people think about is, those are all the levers that you are pulling, but what are you pulling them for? And the reason yeah. you're pulling them for is to drive net revenue retention. You wanna retain every dollar that you have uh, accrued from a customer, but you want to set yourself up and create the conditions to get more dollars from them, right? Yeah. And that, that at the core is what the function is doing. And it's doing it by adding skills and, and tools that accelerate the speed at which those customers see value. Because we don't really need to help them, really. We could sell them the software, 
leave yeah. them to it, go, here's the FAQ. And the reason we don't do that is because if they do happen to put the effort in and figure it out themselves, it'll take them far longer to do that than if you help them, right? Sure. So it's an acceleration function. It's accelerating the value customers see. So you have a bigger window uh, to potentially drive more revenue from them. So, uh, I, and I think that's that's part of the the challenge. Uh, it's first, it's contextual. Uh, there, there is therefore not a lack. There's not like a standardized definition. And then you have a bunch of very well-intentioned, well-meaning, hardworking people who are just throwing their hands up, going, "I just got to deal with what I've got because I'm too busy to actually affect any internal change." Yeah, I, I see that as well. And I think, like, I've worked with quite a few good leaders in the past, where the, the first thing they come into the organization is really about setting, like, what is their team's focus, what is their goal, what are they here to achieve. Like, it's clear yeah. for everybody internally, and I can see that as well with the customer success and speaking to quite a lot of guests as well on the show. That perhaps maybe this is a missing step. Is actually first of all, before you even start doing anything, is really make sure internally there's a clear alignment the focus of what customer success purpose is because and you and you hit the key word there surround you yeah. is alignment what you do and the value that you add has to be aligned to what the comp your company's trying to achieve yeah and you have to be able to show that and the way that you show that is making sure you have the appropriate measures that are important to the company so ultimately that at a very early stage probably what's important to the company is product market fit right because if i don't have that might as well pack up and go home, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you should probably have some targets that are product related. Later on, when you are beyond that stage and you're cranking into building a commercial organization, you want to show how you're adding to the top of the funnel. Look at how many case studies and references we're driving, how much custom sentiment we're generating. And then when you are a little bit more of a mature business and that's better understood, it's this is the net revenue retention. We're returning 105, 110% back to the business. Every customer we work with grows at a certain percentage. Uh, and I think part of the challenge for CS practitioners is, and I hear this all the time, and including very senior leaders, they'll say, I'm not in sales. I don't want to be in sales. And they say that like sales is a bad thing. Sales is not a bad thing. And I would argue that if you are in any kind of SaaS software company, everyone is in sales. You're just pulling different levers to drive and revenue. Selling different ways. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And you're focusing on the business value of a solution to drive a lever. You can be accountable for new revenue, but not be responsible for negotiating it and delivering it. That can be a commercial person. Yep. You can be accountable for putting the company in the position to have the right to go back and have that discussion with the customer. Absolutely. I think this is actually something we discussed uh, on episode 98 uh, with David Sakamoto from uh, GitLab. And it, it was interesting as well, because I think a lot of times on the show, we do hear this like notion that it's difficult for customer success to have an impact, like specifically on a number like retention itself. And how can they be accountable when there's so many inputs from across the organization? What he made was the case that, if anything, it it's really needs to be owned by somebody in the sense that you can be in customer success, the orchestrators of that customer experience. So yeah. uh, you're not the ones closing the sales deal, but you can make sure working closely with sales to ensure that they're not selling the wrong deals. Like Correct. you could go to marketing and like feedback to what you're hearing from people from customer success side is like, are you overselling? Are you underselling? Are you not hitting them with the What's right? the wrong sale? profile we're targeting and all that sort of stuff, yeah. Yeah, so working really, owning that experience, which ultimately then would own sort of that uh, number that you'd focus on. But uh, I, I think do David see- is absolutely right. Yeah. But I think culturally, in the CS profession, 
there's almost an aversion or a lack of understanding that you can do that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can actually put your hand up and go, in the interest of continuous improvement and the health of our company, this is a problem that needs to get solved. Yes. Right. I now, agree. that is hard. Right. That is hard to do. It's actually harder to do if you're a successful company, ironically, <laughs> because when things are going well, the impetus then is not to change anything, right? Whereas, because most of the business is working on a quarterly cycle, and at CS you're probably working on an annual or above cycle. Yeah, you have ten, you have the tendency to be slightly cursed with seeing problems further out that you know are going to happen. Like there's a hole we're going to fall into because we haven't done X, Y, Z and trying to drive the urgency of that. And I think that's really incumbent on CS leaders to not be afraid to go in, argue the case, have your data and keep being persistent about it because you are acting in the interest of the company. Yeah. Don't be cowed by the VP sales just because they're more aggressive than you are. Come with your facts, be assertive uh, and make the case because it is an internal change uh, yeah. strategy. And I think this is just compounded by the point we talked about earlier, Andrew, which is if there's no definition of it, founders and executives and chief executives, they don't really have a mental model for why this is important. They will, if in the absence of a model, they'll pick one again. Oh, it's, it's kind of like a support function, isn't it? Or it's kind of like, you know, because yeah. they don't, they're not hearing back regularly this is how we're adding to the bottom line. Yeah. So David is absolutely right. I think with his point. Yeah. It, it needs a lot of communication internally and really like sort of, I think the, the other big thing is it's like sales is typically you see the ROI immediately, whereas yeah, customer term. success, yeah, short term, but customer success really gives you that compounding long-term value as well. And uh, like Correct. CS leaders need to do a much better job of really like illustrating that. So I, I love the yeah, point. It's, that lead, you make. it's leading and lagging indicators, I think is, is part of the problem. But then having said that, there's nothing stopping you as a CS leader to say, I have decided that if our annual goal is net revenue retention, I want to give the team a quarterly goal on consumption of the service. So yeah. I want to be driving my team and measuring my team and reporting that up to say, in order to set ourselves up at month 12, the financial year, for a bigger net revenue retention uplift, uh, we're driving the team on targets every quarter for certain uh, growth of uh, active usage, usage, for example. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's, there's other levers you can pull to keep a shorter term window and keep that focus, even as though a longer, longer term, term impact, longer term yeah. outcome. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is also, it's a, uh, it's, it, and this is again more of a CS leadership question. It's an internal change management job. It's an extra part of your role and. What I all often coach uh, leaders on is you have two customers, not one. <laughs> you have the customer you sell to and you have a whole bunch of internal customers and you have to keep selling to them as well. Yeah, no, 100% believe in it. I think also the, a lot of the times like people don't spend the time to put together these plans internally as well. And you'd be like surprised how often like people just say, yes, this is great, do it. Um, but they think of like taking the status quo as the norm and just going on with things. But really, people want to be presented with problems and solutions. So, like if you go to somebody within the org and you have a really solid plan, like you say, you're coming with the data, you're showing what yeah. the impact you can have. Uh, like you'd probably be very surprised of how much change you can make. But you need to put the work in to have that sort of document, to have that uh, plan in place. Right. Not just and it's continuous. This is a problem. Yeah, you have to continuously reinforce it. Right. And I think that's and it is it's a lot of extra work, as you uh, uh, as you point out. And sometimes, you know, it won't be a receptive audience. Right. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. But 
you got to try, right? Absolutely. Um, just again, going back to this theme of the underlying problem is no definition. If you don't have a definition of what the team is doing and why it's important, it then makes it almost impossible to divest yourself or push back on things that you shouldn't be doing. Yep. Because if, if somebody in the marketing organization says, yeah, yeah, you guys can do this because this is a customer success thing and you have no way to actually push on back on that because you haven't got a definition for what you do, uh, you're going to end up, it's, again, this challenge is going to compound. Your team's going to end up owning and doing stuff that it doesn't actually add any value to your part of the business or to the customer. So. And you're going to have a very demotivated team, like not giving sure, them something yeah, that's, to that's focus. That's why good people leave. Yeah, because yeah, they go, no I, can't get on success. The, yeah. I can't get on the front foot with customers. I'm too busy doing, reacting to all this stuff we've just inherited. So. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, once took over a team uh, where uh, I just did a quick, you know, analysis of what everyone was doing and found that there was like a hundred plus projects in flight, right? Now, a lot of those projects were because the team needed things that were missing. So they were trying to do them themselves. So that's, one problem to solve. Um, and that's you know my responsibility to help prioritize that and get those things done. The other was they're doing all these activities that I don't know why they're doing them, right? And one of them was every time there was an NPS detractor, they were reaching out to that person personally and engaging with them. And I was like, okay, why are we doing that, right? Well, yeah. because we were asked to, or it got sent to us, blah, blah, blah. But what happens with the results, right? Well, what do you mean? Well, we, we talked to them, we have, and I looked at some of these interactions went on for weeks, right? They were going back and forth and they're trying to get, and like, what happens with the results of this? Well, nothing, you don't report these to anywhere. They're not actioned anywhere. So we should probably stop doing this, right? Yeah. And in the end, you know, my job was to, I mean, there's value in doing that, but my job was to find that at home and that home ended up um, being in the customer experience team. And then they had a direct line to marketing and reporting on results, right? So very practical example of just inheriting things that, you know, whilst they may in of themselves be useful, they're not part of the core mission of the team. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, you mentioned something earlier as well. I want to dive back into that too. Uh, looking at sort of like founders now wanting to get a CS practice set up within the organization. Um, yeah. What are some of the, the tips that you would give somebody now looking to get set up? Like maybe you just walk us through when do you think is the right time to start thinking about customer success? So you mentioned mm -hmm. even like pre-product market fit, uh, potentially having a CS role or function within the org. Like when do you typically suggest to teams to bring in and what is the type of person you're looking to bring in as that first uh, person to help build out customer success for you? Yeah, it's a, it's a, there's a couple of really interesting things there. So I think timing wise, um, from the very beginning because but that person may not necessarily be a dedicated cs person it could often be a product person who is wearing a half product half customer hat because what you're trying to do is uh you know you may have a handful of early customers or you still maybe even pre-product what you're trying to do is find the quickest cycle to test your hypotheses about what you need to build and what you need to improve and what isn't adding value. So I think, you know, from the very moment, have someone who is engaging with customers at a meaningful level to learn about those things you need to accelerate product market fit. So that is in effect customer success, but it may not be called that, you know, just maybe a product man manager or head of product doing that work. Uh, I think once you start to get into, you know, 10, 15, 20K MRR, you know, you should, 
you should be having people who are working with customers, right? Because yeah. what you want to understand from them is what's required from us to help you accelerate that value, what works and what doesn't work. Um, and then I think as you're doing that and scaling up your the rest of the commercial organization, and when I say commercial, most people mean sales and marketing. To me, it's sales marketing success. So, you know, that is the point where you probably want to be formalizing a group yeah. because it's not now just about net new sales. It's about growth from existing, uh, even though that may be lagging. The company could get very, very good at sales and marketing. But if its net revenue retention is below 100, uh, they're basically walking around with a very leaky bucket and that leak's only going to get bigger. Yeah. And eventually the business will fail. So. So you need somebody working really close with customers, feeding back that loop and really trying to understand where yeah. the improvements are. So been. even from when you're still building the product, if you think about what a lot of early stage companies do, the product managers, even pre-product or the heads of product, they're out there talking to customers or potential customers to test their hypotheses, right? Yeah. It's customer success activity, if you ask me. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to learn from my customers what accelerates value, but with the context of this at the moment on the product. Once the product's baked and built and you've got it uh, you've got it to a point where you can sell it to people, then you do need a bunch of people to say, right, what force multiplier do we need to add? Is it DevOps skills? Is it change management skills? You know, is it uh, the regulatory compliance skills that we bring to the table to get you up and running on this as quickly as possible? And the reason you need that is because customers have a day job. And yeah. this, is, this is something that is easy to forget in a software company because you live and breathe your products. That's your whole life. And it's not for them. <laughs> you know, They're busy trying to solve their problems with not enough time, money, or resource. So uh, you need that engagement with them and that acceleration because they're already under the water. They're too busy. Yeah. Definitely. I see that. I think there's also, I think the concept when it comes to churn as well, in terms of the amount of effort versus the amount of value uh, that's mm -hmm. delivered and really trying to understand like on the scale, you're are they paying like in time or you're paying in money or uh, you're paying in resources. And then in terms of like the value that goes and you really need to make sure that you get a good balance between the amount of yeah, time. Right? Yeah. And, uh, you've you've got to be efficient, which is why it's not always a case of getting budget and adding people. Yes. It, it, it could actually be an issue of you need a specific side of skill set that you don't have, or there are specific types of engagements, or there is specific things you should be doing in the sales cycle to get a faster start. Yeah. So it's not always, it doesn't always equate to people. Cool. Um, I, I see you have as well, like obviously you mentioned companies like Zendesk, uh, Slack, uh, Yammer. Mm -hmm. I'm interested between maybe these three companies when it comes to like customer success, what's one mm -hmm. thing that they all had in common? And then maybe what is one thing that was like different with each? Oh, interesting. So I think um, in common, uh, I think they all really had this notion of that we're a, a value accelerator uh, and, but I think what was different is that the levers that we pulled in terms of skill, uh, or what was required to drive that value was, was very different. Uh, I would say Yammer and Slack were fairly close in so much as yeah. it was collaborative technology and really the major skill set there that helps the customer is helping them with change management, right? Because we're asking them to work in a completely different way. Um, uh, the Slack obviously is... It, it, 
the, proper, the, the product solution, obviously a lot more versatile, a lot more sophisticated than Yammer was when I was there. So, you know, that also then required more technical people on the CS side as well to help people build on the platform and so on and so forth. And I think on the Zendesk side, the, um, what was really valuable to accelerate uh, value for the customer was having an understanding of how customer service teams work. So a lot of the team just had a very good background and experience of either managing uh, customer service teams or being a customer service agent, et cetera, because the software itself, while it's very sophisticated, was reasonably intuitive to someone who had been in that background. They kind of understood uh, how best Quite to build, it, build the software. So, so I think the thing that was the same was it was very much viewed as this is a way to accelerate the value and therefore accelerate revenue for us. But the differences were the kind of skill sets uh, needed uh, to bring. I mean, there's a core set of skills, I think probably six or seven competencies that all good CS people typically have. Um, yeah. Don't ask me to name them all because I won't remember all seven, uh, seven or eight. But the, the trick is to figure out what is the uniqueness of our proposition, the context of our proposition, and what is the skill set I need to be looking there. So sometimes it's just regulatory. You know, you're selling financial services type solutions. And the solutions are, you know, maybe not that complex. They may be complex to deploy, but not complex to use. But if you don't understand the regulatory requirements, you can't help the customer very well. So. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I've, mm. I've seen working with different tools before that I, I think even just like an example of a cookie um, consent model and yeah. working with like a, a unnamed company, it was almost impossible to try and understand like if their solution served us within our EU uh, requirements that we had. Yeah. Um, but yeah, having like somebody on custom success, they just with a really good understanding would have been a game changer and like a deal. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the easiest question for founders to ask and for potential interviewees to ask, uh, founders is how much domain experience or knowledge is required here to make the customer successful? Yeah. Right? That's a really easy question to ask. I, um, been working with a founder in, um, shipping logistics and my natural assumption was, wow, we're going to have to help you find people who understand the shipping business. And I couldn't have been more wrong. She goes, no, it's actually pretty straightforward. You can learn that on the job in about a week or two. Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. Whereas, you know, talking to someone around, uh, you know, asset compliance is like, yeah, they really need to actually understand order management systems and, and the regulatory framework around holding different asset classes and stuff. So, you know, it's a different okay. kind of person. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and I, as we were talking now, I just thought like about the, your investment in time, uh, because this last week we were setting up for ourselves, we were setting up Zendesk uh, and we mm. are actually using Slack as an example for uh, the support function and how they've set up their uh, docs and everything. It's it's quite yeah. impressive to see like the two tools that you've picked or like two of the two tools that we've used as reference now as a backbone to get started. Yeah, so. it's, uh, you know, and I think they both have uh, very similar philosophies, which is very user-centric philosophy we want to make this software because we're making it for human beings yeah uh, and we want to empathize with people who have those busy day jobs but also the extensibility of both you know the fact that there are platforms you can build your own integrations there's a whole stock of other integrations where you can create workflows you know so i think there's a there's quite a lot of commonality in terms of the quality of the user experience and the extensibility so uh and again but that goes back you know we talked earlier I didn't realize I was doing it at the time, but I had this mental model of, am I really excited about the products? <laughs> you, know, you know, Yeah. and uh, clearly that some of those commonalities appeal to me. So. Absolutely. So uh, 
What's one thing you believe today that CS teams are just getting wrong all around um, and you wish they would oh, like, wow. start improving? Well, Be we, as controversial we, as you like. Yeah, well, I mean, we talked a little bit about it and I think the, the one thing is maybe, and this is not the case for everybody, but the one thing is not either realizing or accepting that you are here to add revenue to the company. That's why you're here. I have, I have met some CS leaders, one in particular that springs to mind, who said, it's purpose over profit. And I just like, oh my goodness, you know, that may sound very lofty yeah. and, you know, tied to the vision, but this is a commercial organization. And if you are not, you know, if you are not adding any material value, you're ultimately going to get bitten by that. And that's exactly what happened. That entire team got let go because uh, yeah. they couldn't actually show the value they were adding. So I think that is probably the the key one. All these other things around not not having a contextual definition, not doing the internal change. I think those are all stem from fundamentally not either understanding, realizing, or wanting to accept that you are here to drive revenue. Yeah, I think. And every I sound like a terrible company. venture capitalist, yeah. but. but you know that is is fundamentally the name of the game right yeah so you're building a company and uh, ultimately you make decisions on what is going to drive the most value to the company so yeah and it's not mutually exclusive you can be super customer focused and focus on driving value and drive value to your own bottom line in fact if you do focus on the driving customer value you will add value exactly. to your bottom line right yeah. yeah it's not either or <laughs> it's more just i think the way you position it and then the way you measure it uh, that's the difference Correct. i think uh, yeah. so but having that realization like really providing value is the name of the game because if you're doing that nobody's going to leave people are going to stick around you're going to increase accounts but figuring exactly. out how you can actually uh, measure and drive that usage like you're saying yeah, yeah. and be and to be proud of that fact to be proud of the fact that we cannot become a hundred million dollar revenue company unless the cs team is doing its job properly like you yeah. just can't you can't you know, do it efficiently. you'll run out of people to sell to or you'll run out of companies to acquire to sell them to or eventually if enough people churn off they'll never buy anything from you again absolutely <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, with that in mind talking about churn uh let's uh ask one question ask every guest that joins the show it's oh, a wow, okay. hypothetical scenario now. You join a new company, you arrive, churn and retention is not doing great at all. The CEO mm-hmm. turns around and says, Rav, like, we really need to uh, mix things up. We really need to make an impact. We have 90 days to try and put a dent on churn. What mm-hmm. would you want to be doing with your time? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, this is assuming, of course, that through the process of deciding to come on board, we've determined churn isn't because the product is fundamentally not a good fit. So we let's say, let's make on the assumption that believe in the product and the product is actually good. Yeah. I think the first and foremost thing that I would be doing is engaging with and talking to as many customers and prospects as possible. So I would be wanting to uh, sit in sales calls, even, you know, just passively sales uh, pitch meetings and sales meetings at different stages. I'd want to talk to almost every existing customer if possible, especially the material ones and I would want to do a stint on the service desk and actually maybe sit in front of the Zen desk and answer some tickets because I have found that that is actually one of the best ways to learn about a company, how it operates, and its customers. So it would really all be entirely just immersing myself as much as possible into how we sell to customers, who we sell to, why they buy, how they use or don't use, um, and how they engage with us, you know, from a support pers- or if they engage with us from a support perspective. Um, I, um, 
just going back to the Slack example, when I joined Slack, I joined in November uh, and I was the only person in the UK, bearing in mind. So when I flew back, it was obviously the holiday period or coming into the holiday period. A lot of the team were on vacation. I didn't have an office. So I worked in my, my old front dining room table and I go, well, I know how Zendesk works and I have a license. So I logged into Zendesk and I just did two weeks of tickets yeah. and it was scary, <laughs> but I learned a lot. <laughs> like I learned an awful lot and it helped me as I started to build out the CS function to understand, oh, I got a really good sense of what people are struggling with, both in terms of knowledge, ability, and uh, with driving usage. Uh, and so it gave us just more things to think about rather than, well, we have some guesses of what might be useful. Let's go try out those guesses. Yeah. I, I like the, the two points that you mentioned as well. It doesn't get mentioned often those like speaking one, uh, looking at support. So definitely like I see huge, huge value in that. You really see where people are struggling, where they're failing. Uh, it's not yeah. past the point of failure. So the people are still motivated enough to like want to try and fix raise the ticket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and on the flip side then as well, like from the sales perspective is really looking at, okay, it's like, what are people saying during these calls? What are some of the value that they're looking for? Maybe we, where are we missing that to where we're not driving that efficiently? Right, yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest learnings I've had from doing that is understanding how big is the gap between the person who bought the product and the person the CS team is getting to work with. Yeah. It's something I refer to as the buyer deployer gap. If you can understand that and work on ways to sh shorten that gap uh, by the time the customer gets to you, you're in a lot better state because the, you know, Companies, especially large ones, the larger they are, the more that gap is bigger, the more dysfunctional the communication tends to be. So somebody up here has bought your solution and they're a you know, C-suite or a VP level budget holder and decider, and they've pushed you down to a junior business analyst to get the thing deployed. Well, there's a giant gulf between what the business is trying to achieve and what that person does on a day-to-day -day basis and what their priorities are. Yeah. And if you as a CS team have no route back to the buyer because you have no relationship with that person, you have no way to escalate when if things aren't moving. So, you know, I think that's been one of the biggest advantages for me of immersing myself in the sales cycle, even though I'm working with customers who have been sold to because I need to understand that buyer deployer gap. And see where you need to be speaking, who you need to be speaking to and what's time yeah. uh, in the value chain. Yeah. Very cool. Um Another question that I ask as well is, what's one thing that you know today about churn and retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? Oh, oh <laughs> that's a really good question. The one thing that I've learned is that the customers who are on the surface, when you look at the usage data, are doing really well, but never speak to you and never engage with you and never respond to you, they're the ones to worry about. <laughs> Interesting. Right? Interesting. that's what i've learned right so yeah. you've got the highly engaged ones that engage with you uh, either regularly or sporadically now they may pay you a lot of money but you kind of have a window into engaging with them yeah then there's the people who may pay you a, a lot of money or not much money and you but you do hear from them and or you do engage with them i mean they may be trending downwards but you've got people to talk to you to work with it's the ones in the middle where everything seems to be going okay or going well and they don't engage with you at all. Those are the ones that I worry about the most because, well, for one thing, you have no idea about the dynamics in the organization. Is this just being driven by one person and that one person might leave or change yeah. role? So we're, we're, not, we're zero threaded. Not, it's not even the case of being single threaded. This um, introduces for me a giant risk of 
retention or potential retention, but a giant risk of never being able to grow that customer. Uh, And the reason it introduces a risk of retention is the longer the customer is left to their own devices, the greater the chances they're not using the solution in the most sophisticated way. And so when you do come to maybe a second, third renewal event with a new stakeholder, they'll be like, I don't want to pay for this. this. This just seems like a very basic tool. And that's because they haven't had anyone work with them to show them the true power of it. Oh, what else can be unlocked? Yeah, yeah so but- it sounds counterintuitive, right? You would probably look at your dashboard and go, oh, wow, these guys are doing great. I don't have to worry about those. But yeah. it's like, oh, these guys are doing great. And they've never interacted with us. We don't know who the stakeholders are. We've never heard of them. Uh, that worries me. That is a particular phenomena in a freemium or bottom-up style model that happens a lot. And uh, when I work with the especially early stage founders now, when they're looking at distribution models, I'm a big proponent of free trial over freemium because you want to put a little bit of friction in there where they have to talk to you, yeah. <laughs> you know, because then you have a much better shot at, at uh, being able to engage with someone. Very interesting. Yeah. I think as well, like it definitely, it's one of those things where just looking at numbers alone can uh, lead you down the false track and false belief. And it's, we, yeah. we have talked about this on the show as well previously, but interesting to hear from your perspective coming from so many different companies and seeing this play mm. out over and over that uh, you can see a customer that looks amazing on the numbers, but then without having that full context of what's happening behind the scene, without having that qualitative aspect and like gauging where they're at, you just right. don't know. Yeah. Like, Yeah, exactly. What are they using it for? You know, what value is it adding, if any? Who's driving that? You know, that all of those things. And this is why, you know, you often hear conversations about health scoring. And I always say, look, you want a qualitative and a quantitative quantitative score. You want both. So the quantitative one is the usage, the metrics, or, you know, the feature consumption. But the qualitative one is the what's the strength of our relationship? What's the frequency of engagement? What level are we engaged at? What's the political dynamic? You know, that's a bit that's a bit more subjective. You need both because I I sort of tend to say to people, think of it as a blood pressure reading, one number over another. (laughs) Right? You You know, if your systolic or diastolic is off the charts, that's still not good, even if the combined number might be okay. Absolutely. I think this is one thing we get wrong, like across the organization entirely when it comes to qualitative and quantitative insights and not just in customer success, but like very often or not, you have like a business intelligence or data analytics team on one side, and then you have a UX and UX uh, user research practice on another. But really, Mm. I think you need to have both together, both working off another. You need the complete complete picture because, um, you know, there are so many people buy from people. That's fundamentally what it is. That's yeah. fundamentally what it is. And if you don't understand the people bit, you're hampered. Uh, you, you know, you're just hampered for, you know, maybe you'll retain the revenue, but you might, you'll probably won't grow it very much. Absolutely. It's one of the things I advocated as well in leading business intelligence at Hotshow was uh, to push like the data owners to actually get on custom interviews and to uh, get like speak to customers themselves because like as analysts, you'll just be looking at numbers, but without having the empathy to understand maybe like what the problems were, you might spot something in the data that looks odd, but you won't have a yeah. clue. But if you've jumped on that customer call, if you've had some insights into like, what are some of their pain points? What are some of the things they're mentioning that can mm. give you and fuel you further thoughts in ways that you can actually For analyze sure, yeah. and look into challenges. So. I agree. I think it's the difference between data-driven decisions and data-informed decisions. I'm a yeah. fan of the latter. So yes. the data should inform your decision-making, but there are, definitely other variables that aren't in the data that you want to try and get your head around. 
before before making a decision if you can. Absolutely. Well, Rev, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. I've really, really enjoyed uh, our Thank chat you so and discussion. Much, yeah. uh, is yeah. there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Like anything they should be aware of or up to speed with uh, what you're working on? Oh, look, you know, I think if um, any of these, you know, if anybody has any questions about any of this or if anyone wants to dig in further, you know, I'm very easy to get hold of. I try, try my best to be responsive. Um, Feel free to follow me on Medium. I've written about a lot of these topics we've talked to today in a little bit more detail. Uh, and finally, just thank you uh, for inviting me on the show and congratulations on hitting that the hundred show barrier. Uh, that's a, that's a hell of an achievement. And having listened to a lot of the back catalogue, uh, this is incredibly incredibly useful podcast. So uh, I'd encourage everybody to subscribe and uh, and follow follow you and your guests. Awesome. Thanks so much. And we'll definitely make sure to leave those uh, in the show notes as well, the links to Medium. Um, and if anything else you have as well, we'll include that too. But Brilliant. thanks again for joining and uh, wish you uh, best of luck now going to 2021. Yeah, thank you, Andrew, and stay safe. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you, and you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.